The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the eighth chapter. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went out and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Our good and gracious God, you have made us the world for us to delight in it, to um, join in it, but also to heal it when it is broken and hurting and at risk. And right now, Lord, our creatures and our waterways are at risk so much pollution, so much uh, recreation that takes place at the cost of the wild life and the fishes and the porpoises and the whales. Help us, Lord, to be mindful that we're not the only ones on this planet that you have created to bring joy. We ask that we might be good stewards of all the animal kingdom and all the fishes and waterways so that we are giving you glory and thanksgiving for the wonderful world you have put in our care. In Jesus' name, amen. Once upon a time, about 25 years ago, I used to take our youth group from Trinity Lansdale on an annual uh, retreat down to the Jersey Shore. It was a late, late September retreat, and I got no trouble filling the bus because school had started, and they were more than ready to go back to a site of some fun and recreation. We'd go down to Sea Isle City, if you know where that is, and we'd we'd go uh, to a little bitty tiny church that would allow all of us kids to come in there and sleep on the floor between the church pews, like in the sanctuary. We'd have the usual youth things, study sessions and games and lots of food and fun. But for me, the true highlight of the whole weekend was uh, Sunday's sunrise worship service on the beach. The rule was that you'd have to awaken somewhere, we'd check the time, before sunrise. So maybe it was 6 a.m., 5.45, and the teenagers would have to arise in silence. No groaning and complaining, uh, just get up, take whatever you're going to sit on. And then we walked two and a half blocks or more all the way down to the beach in absolute silence, which was quite a, a feat for that age group. And the first words that were going to be spoken out loud would be on the beach at our site for the worship service. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and they would say, Amen. It is the Lord's day. And I'd hope and hope and hope for a clear sky and no rain, and uh, that would be the breath, therefore the breathtaking view of orange and pinks and yellows coming up over the ocean tide would be beautiful. And it would be our uh, awakening call. Spilling and crashing waves came onto the sand and beat the rhythm of life into our our bodies. The kids would put their towels in a little circle, which would become our congregational pews, and they would sit on their towels, and then we would set up Holy Communion on a cardboard box 
whatever we could find, right in the middle of our circle. And it was, um, it was somehow the sacrament tasted so much better outside there in that moment and time. We, uh, we would then have the service itself, and that would go well because it was just magical, breathing the salt air, the rhythm constantly of life crashing, and the spirituality was just palpable. I believe the teenagers, even though there were many skeptics about religion, were moved by the um, incarnational power of nature there, the intimacy of God's spirit among us in the salt air that morning as we shared out loud our God moments from the weekend and then as we shared in the bread and the wine all to the backdrop of the rhythm of nature and the crashing shore. Author Rainier Maria Rilke knows well the healing power of the sea. She writes this, When anxious and uneasy and bad thoughts come, I go to the sea and the sea drowns them out with its great wide sounds, cleanses me with its noise, and imposes a rhythm upon everything in me that is bewildered and confused. And George Herbert advises, he or she that will learn to pray, let them go to the sea. It's the last day of our creation series this fall. We've had three weeks. It's a new thing we've done. And it's been refreshing to the pastors as well, I believe, to celebrate nature's wonders and our calling to steward them as God's gifts to the world. It's an emphasis shared uh, by the Episcopal Church uh, internationally and the Lutheran Church and other denominations for decades already. So this is nothing new. It's been going on a long time. But it seemed especially timely this year with the constant reminders that we have had from nature of chaos and destruction gripping our natural world, from the constant burning of forest fires in the hills and neighborhoods of California, the loss of wildlife running from the flames with nowhere to go anymore and no habitat, no food to find, where there are acres and acres that lie in waste. Plus, we've had the incredible constant rains on this side of the United States for months and months, as we know. The tsunamis and the hurricanes are taking lives in the Far East and on our own shores. Our calling as God's partners in this world is to care and protect and honor all living things and the sky and the sea and the mountains. Many of us are trying I know that, in small ways and large ways already. But we must still be more vigilant and add more caretakers to this world's uh, abundance. As our 1030 hymn says, the earth is the Lord's. Too often, O God, we abuse your good earth. We fail to remember its beauty and worth. We take from creation much more than we need. We threaten your world through indifference and greed. One story so touched my heart in the last few weeks. Uh, you may have seen it with all the recent publicity about the orca whales off the coast of the Pacific Northwest. Their survival is being threatened. 
Orcas, as you know, probably are those giant black and white killer whales that are at the SeaWorld shows and other ocean amusement parks. An article in this July uh, online New York Times had this title, Orcas of the Pacific Northwest are starving and disappearing. It says, for the past three years, not a single calf, that would be a baby whale, has been born to the shrinking pods, that's their social uh, grouping, of orcas in the area. Not a single calf had been born. The number of orcas has now dwindled to 75, a 30-year low. Listed as endangered, however, since 2005, orcas are basically starving to death. As their prey, the Chinook king salmon, are dying off, they have no food to eat. So Governor Jay Inslee of Washington State issued an executive order directing agencies to do more to help the orcas. He says this, I believe we have orcas in our soul in this state, Washington State, and the impact of letting this species, Chinook salmons and orcas, disappear will be felt for generations. What is the cause? The underwater world is getting louder due to traffic and recreational whale watchers, which makes it harder for the whales to locate their prey and to communicate among themselves. When they put out the whales their sonar sound, it's all conflicted with the boat sounds and with the traffic all over that bay and harbor, so they cannot seek and find each other or their prey. You may also have seen the pictures sad weeks ago that broke my heart of a mother orca who had been lucky enough to finally have a little baby, a, dead, a, a, a baby, however. She was carrying it now in her mouth because it had died. It had starved. And she was going around carrying this baby for weeks, for, for days and days and days and just would not give it up because she was so heartbroken. Sometimes it's up to five years until another female orca will have a baby. One researcher recently said, in the end, trying to maintain a population of whales in the shadow of, the, of one of the fastest growing cities in the country may not be possible. How sad that we are continuing to grow and expand and take over the worlds and the spaces at the cost of these beautiful creatures on land and in the seas. We have just been focusing on the oceans and their creatures, but if you add to that the rivers and the lakes and their fish and their fauna, that need to also be maintained. We need all hands on deck to preserve and save God's creation. But wait! You realize our human failure to care for the earth and to preserve it. But it's not just recent behavior. This human failure is shocking because it goes back to the book so far of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Listen to God's warning to the prophet Jeremiah. He's saying, The land will be made a wasteland, parched and desolate before me. The whole land will be laid waste because there is no one 
who cares? Jeremiah. We've all had a long time to get the message, to do something, to act about preservation of our global village. And many of you have been working for a long time, and that's fabulous. But we need more and more and more people who will do something particular to make a difference for this world, for the lakes and the streams and the ocean and its life. We have a Savior, however, you know, who cares for us despite our hardness of heart, despite our oversights and all the losses going around underwater. Christ comes to us every day with grace and love and resurrection power in our bodies since the day of our baptismal washing in the living waters of that font. The carelessness of others need not be the final answer. We know that if we just let that spirit be our constant muse and guide and we connect that to the energy God gives us for his world, we can turn these losses around. Jesus calmed the storms when his men were afraid and paralyzed, and he can fill us with hope and calm this storm of the losses of God's creatures and fish. The potential is within us to heal the world as well. But we have to listen to God's calling. And we will have to go a little battle against our culture of convenience most of the time. Listen to the wisdom and challenge of a David Orr. He says the plain fact is the planet does not need more successful people. But it does desperately need more peacemakers, healers, restorers, and lovers of every shape and form. It needs people who will live well in their places. It needs people of moral courage, willing to join the fight to make this world habitable and humane. And these have little to do with success as our culture has defined it. God needs all of us working together to make a difference. Now we have no time to lose, to heal the world. Each one of us has something we can do consistently and then more and more and more. Find your passion. Find whatever it is that will preserve and glorify God who has given us so much and honor our creator by being a steward of all that he's given us. Amen.